Hi, my name is Dr. Joe Braid and I am the Burnout Recovery Doctor. I help healthcare professionals overcome burnout and get their energy back. So whether you're a med student, allied health professional, or a doctor who is suffering from feeling overwhelmed and exhausted, you're in the right place. In this podcast, you will get your energy back through strategies for burnout recovery. This show will give you the practical tips and mindset strategies to help you recover from burnout in healthcare. Are you ready? Let's dive in. Well, hi, everybody. I'm delighted to bring to you today on the Burnout Recovery Podcast, Dr. Emily Amos. Emily is a wonderful human being who lives in the Melbourne area of Australia. She is a GP who has been through burnout herself and now runs uh, retreats for doctors so they can um, grow their mindfulness and self-care skills. Emily, lovely to have you here today on the podcast. Tell us a bit about yourself and what do you do? Hi, Joe. Thanks for having me. Um, it was a great introduction and nice and succinct. <laughs> so I, I'm, I'm a GP and, and I experienced burnout for myself a few years ago. I experienced all the hallmark signs, but I didn't realize that's what was happening to me. And I pushed and pushed and pushed as I think a lot of us might do. And I eventually physically fell in a heap and had to step back from work for six full months before I was even okay to come back and, and, and start working in clinical medicine again. And since then, uh, I've also got a background as a yoga teacher and I'm also a registered meditation teacher. So I like to reflect on the fact that all the yoga in the world won't actually save you from burnout because I was doing all those things as I burnt myself out. And I think in some ways it, it allowed me to push myself further than I really should have been able to. And in my recovery since then, I've sort of drawn a lot more on, on that yoga and meditation side of me because I'd go on retreats. I've been on quite a few retreats, yoga retreats, meditation retreats, and I'd sort of sit there and really worry that people there would find out I'm a doctor. And I was sort of holding everything in when I'm sitting on these retreats thinking, I just don't want anyone to find out because I'm meant to know all this stuff. I teach other people to take care of themselves. I'm meant to be good at this. And that sort of self-criticism was so prominent for me that as I've recovered and now rebuilt myself after burning myself out, I really felt, and, and you know, I talked to a lot of my colleagues, there's a lot of us that feel this expectation on ourselves, particularly as doctors, that we're meant to have it all together. We're meant to be the ones fixing other people. And we don't have sort of, I guess, the right or the ability to to put our hand up and say, I'm struggling and I, and I need help. And so I really strongly wanted to, to sort of approach that, that part of my awareness and, and the retreats that I now run are specifically for doctors. So they're very educational based, but they're very immersive. We do a lot of meditation. We talk a lot about concepts around self-compassion and mindfulness. And then we sort of integrate that into how can we then take better care of ourselves uh, and how that then gives us the ability to take better care of others if we're actually nurturing ourselves. Sure. Yeah. Thanks, Emily. Isn't that interesting that um, in our profession, it's burnout is a condition and occupational phenomenon that we're not even taught about in our training. So it's hard to know what we're actually looking out for if we do become burnt out. Mm, yeah. um, so, you know, how do you think you realized that you uh, really were getting into that um, state of burnout 
what what did you what came up for you what did you notice so i mean full disclosure for me i actually didn't you know the lack of self-awareness of what was going on for me really it just i got to the point where my body physically collapsed you know that allostatic load the constant stress had just become so heightened that i actually was experiencing panic attacks for the first time in my whole life i was dreading every work day i was sort of looking ahead in my appointment book and really stressing about what was coming up i was trying to micromanage um, things a lot i was really struggling to let go of anything and the irony of that i think is that to the outward observer particularly to my patients it looked like diligence. You know, I was, I was that really diligent doctor who was following up results and making phone calls all day and night, all over the weekend. But what I was actually doing was I was really struggling to, to manage the stress of, and the worry, the constant worry of making a mistake or, or missing something. And, you know, in medicine, it's the stress of that's actually something that we have to learn how to hold because it's always there. You know, we're dealing with people's lives. We can't, take for granted that it's, you know, a mistake in our line of work is actually a huge thing. And I think for me, that stress of that and worry of making a mistake was actually the, the, the stress and worry that was really eating me away and, and started to mount right up for me. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. And I think that's a really important point that you've brought up there that when, when do we get the training or, or where is the training sometimes to um, understand those human feelings that we definitely have as a human working in the system um, and yeah. and how do we address them and um, who, do, who do we go to? How can we sort of normalise this anxiety or angst that can happen mm. um, at any stage of your career as well? It might not be um, just at the early phase of your career, no. of one's career when you're getting used to so much then. Mm. And I think in a lot of ways it sort of, it does mount up because in the early stages of our career as junior doctors, we're sort of cocooned a bit. There's, there's more support around us. There's more structure. And it's when you sort of, when you're in those early years as a junior consultant, I think, where all of a sudden it's like the training wheels are taken off. And I mean, in general practice, we're also small businesses. So we're, we're learning how to run a small business in, a, in an accounting and financial sense. We're learning how to manage patients completely independently. And so in those early early consultant years, I think it's really important and medicine probably doesn't acknowledge the stress that we undergo while still holding the stress of, and worry of trying to manage patients independently, a fear of making a mistake, all these these sort of intangible things. You know, we learn so much about medicine, how to fix other people, and yet we really don't receive a lot in the way of training or support in terms of personal inquiry, self-development and how we work on those skills in ourselves that are, that are independent from our ability to practice clinical medicine. Yes, yes, so true. Mm -mm. So let's, let's hear about what brought you to creating Retreats for Doctors. So, I mean, I love the retreat format. I think, you know, anyone who's been on a yoga or meditation retreat knows the transformation that is possible in such a short time when you when it's in that really immersive, nurturing structure. So I love, I love the retreat structure. And I was really sort of, I'm really passionate about this idea of bringing doctors together, flattening the sort of hierarchy that's so pervasive throughout medicine, bringing everyone together. We eat meals together. We spend those four days together. You know, you create this cocoon of space and time where it's almost like the world outside stands still a little bit. And 
it, you know, it is an artificial scenario. You know, you do go back to the craziness of life. But I often say you don't learn to swim when you're drowning. And what most of us are trying to do is we're trying to take better care of ourselves, learn how to meditate, learn how to practice mindfulness, learn how to be kinder to ourselves. And we're trying to just tackle that on to our busy lives and busy days. So by creating this space in a retreat, what we're giving you is sort of that nurtured shallow end of the pool where you can learn to swim with your floaties on, so to speak. Yeah, great. Yeah, really good. So a four-day a four-day long weekend kind of thing, including Fridays yeah, and Mondays so, or Thursday, Friday? Yeah, so there's some midweek, there's some mm. over the weekends, four days, mm. three nights, mm. and you sort of see this really beautiful unfolding of people and, and their emotions over those four days. And, you know, it's, it's, this, is, this is typical of most immersive group structures where you start with that sort of unfamiliar I don't know what what everyone thinks. I don't know what what to say. I don't, don't want to make a mistake. And then by the next day, if you if you facilitate in a way that sort of helps people to feel safe, you start to see that those personalities unfold, and you realise that these are people. You know, we, we come together on the first day as doctors, and yet what we're trying to do over those four days is help you reconnect with the person who's behind the doctor, which I think, you know, when we, when we graduate, we put doctor before our name. It becomes so integral to our personality. And I found, I found out firsthand that when you, I mean, I burnt myself out. I couldn't be a doctor in the traditional sense for a very long time and it challenged my identity so much because I'd graduated and never stopped to think, am I anything else but a doctor? And so when there's a problem in that doctor self, which a lot of us experience, we get disillusioned with work, we worry, we burn out, we find we need to take a career break, you know, all these things happen for us. And if we're so in, in sort of um, deep in that doctor part of our personality, it can be easy to, to have the wheels fall off a bit if we don't nurture who we are as a person as well as who we are as a doctor. Sure. Yeah. I think it's such a great point. And identity work is um, a really important part of um, self-care and looking out for yourself in a sort of sustainable way for the future as well. Um, And also, I think it's great to have that really safe space for doctors who, or humans, I guess, individuals who come to your retreats, who um, have a persona or a front that they put on like maybe five out of seven days a week or whatever their shifts are and um, to feel safe to peel off the layers and either remember or discover who they are now. And exactly as you say, it could be a decade, it could be a handful of years or maybe 20 years since they've really um, had that space and that time to look there. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I, I knew for myself that it was really important to me that education was a core component of this mm. as a meditation teacher myself. I obviously feel very strongly about the benefits of meditation, but I also feel very strongly about staying with that sort of evidence around mindfulness. And it, it, can, be, it can be difficult because we have these very scientific analytical brains. And what I'm asking people to do is take a leap of faith on the retreats and experience something that may have been uncomfortable for them or they may have tried in the past with apps or all sorts of things. And I'm asking them to, to put their faith in me and, or, and the facilitators and just experience it for themselves 
And so this the educational component of those four days really, I think, helps set that groundwork for then going, okay, it is okay to take this leap of faith. There is a really strong base of education and I've worked really hard to get the retreats CPD accredited by various specialty colleges because I just feel like there has to be in a way, a carrot, you know, we're busy people, doctors are really busy people. And sometimes the idea of actually doing something for our own personal development and self-development, it we just don't want to do it. So I've really tried to lead with that educational base and sh- and helping doctors to understand that, you know, this line between personal development, development and professional development we, it might not be as black and white <laughs> as mm. we're led to believe. You know, if we learn about sort of acid-base balance and new drugs and things, well, that's clearly professional development. But if we learn about how to monitor our own internal environment, respond in a more mindful way, be more aware of when we're feeling those sort of rising sense of burnout, you know, these might feel like a, a personal development, but really if you are a happy, healthy, balanced human, you will be a happy, healthy, balanced doctor. It's actually really hard to separate the two and make it black and white, one's personal, one's professional. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more so that you're showing up, you're able to show up every day and, um, you know, do the work that you've been so well trained to do for so many years. Yeah. Great. Great. Good. So, um, I guess there are quite a few changes you might notice in your attendees during the retreat, sort of the befores and afters. Is there anything you'd like to share about that in in what you see there? Yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's such an incredible honour to, to run these retreats. Every time I sit there, I learn something new because the participants bring something different to the mm. retreats themselves. But it's really nice to see that flattening of the hierarchy. You know, we've got doctors that are nearing retirement age. We've got heads of department. We've got lots of wellbeing officers that are coming on retreats. But then we've also got doctors in training, junior consultant level. And, you know, hearing someone say, I'm always so scared to call so-and-so and and make that referral or to do this or to do that. And And now I'm sitting here listening to those heads of department, those ICU specialists who I'm trying to get patients into ICU, all these things that we actually worry about. And we feel so alone in that worry. And then here you are sitting next to me on this retreat saying, I have the same worries. I think the same things. And that common humanity, which is a really core component to both mindfulness and self-compassion, it's so easy to forget. You know, in medicine, we're, we're sort of, it's bred into us in a way. It's quite a competitive world. Getting onto training programs is quite difficult. We're all very naturally high achieving people, quite perfectionistic in a lot of ways, lots of type A personality traits. It doesn't necessarily, it's not the environment that, that really natively breeds compassion. <laughs> so coming in on a retreat and seeing people who you might otherwise look at with their doctor coat on or their doctor hat on and, and be scared of them or intimidated by them and sit next to them and have them say, I share those worries too. I feel like that as well. It just, you know, it gives me, it gives me the tingles every time. And I just, I love seeing the looks on people's faces as they realise that that common humanity is just so, it's just there, it's, it's always there. And it, and I think medicine tries to, in a way, force it out of us. We have to put on that false bravado. I know, I'm confident, I can make these tough decisions, life often life or death decisions. 
And it can be really difficult to allow that vulnerability and common humanity to come through, but it's really nice to, to see that at the forefront on these retreats. That's wonderful. Yeah, such a great example of, um, you know, how history can kind of shape how we then show up. Um, personally, having recalled, finding it often really hard to get a radiology referral okayed, particularly in the UK when I was a junior. And that kind of thing sticking with me for years that I'm sure this is going to be really hard to get this CT, prejudging before I've even started um, to get this request across. Um, and yeah, it's it's that fear sometimes of other people's opinions that we can um, bring into our workplace and, and what does that stop us from doing or who does that stop us from showing up as um, if if we're not so worried about that or we realise that exactly as you said, they're another human, probably pretty busy in their job as well, sifting out um, all the referrals that are coming their way too. Mm. Yeah. And really being able to recognise the difficulties in our job. You know, there is a lot of stress in our day-to-day -day and we're trained to give to other people, we give compassion almost endlessly to our patients and it, it often will deplete us. And what we talk about on the retreats is, is this idea of the compassion cycle and when we start with self-compassion, it gives us then the ability to recognise, oh, okay, I'm feeling stressed right now because this is actually hitting buttons, like you say, from my junior doctor years where I was shouted at by someone who was also probably having their own journey and issues. If we can show ourselves compassion, we then find it easier to practice our own self-care, place, um, place our compassionate boundaries. And once we sort of do that, then that ability to show compassion to others is actually augmented rather than flattened. But self-compassion just doesn't come naturally to, to most doctors in, in yeah. my experience. Yeah. And there are even myths that are sort of there's research published around it that there are myths about health, healthcare, self-compassion and being that hero. And actually, if you turn that around, the research actually shows um, healthcare practitioners with self-compassion can be better team players, um, have fewer um, issues with patients or medical errors and so forth as mm -hmm. well. So it can be such a great tool in such a great collective way to um, be turning those myths on their head and um, changing your approach with that. Yeah. Okay, great. So what are, what about this idea? I mean, I think we've been talking around this as well, Emily, but what, are, what do you think are some of the solutions to the problem of burnout and overwhelm in healthcare? Look, I think, I think it's a, it is a really tough thing to address because obviously there's nuances that, that even what we talk about on the retreats, like we're not touching on really deeply entrenched organisational issues, overwork and, and rostering issues and all. I can't, I can't address those issues. Um, but what I find and what we do talk about on the retreats is this concept of, of casting the first stone into the lake, you know, the, the ripples of change rather than focusing so much on those things outside of our control. We come back into that circle of control where we can say, well, okay, I can, I can do this, this and this. Sometimes it might be as simple as I can actually make time to have lunch. Maybe it's that I go outside and have lunch and actually spend some time in nature, sit on the grass. I do really simple things which may seem really trite when we're talking about the issue of burnout in healthcare, which is just such a massive issue. But sometimes that might be the only thing that's in our control. 
And then as we start to sort of nurture ourselves, we begin to notice those patterns of thought that seem to come up quite, quite often. You know, my sort of the patterns of thought that come up for me quite often, I am a perfectionist at heart. I can be very hard on myself. And so if I'm not doing things perfectly, I can get incapacitated because I just feel like it's not worth doing at all if I can't do it perfectly. So having some time in my schedule that I need to invest into personal inquiry, you know, meeting with people who have, who are like-minded and who are also on that same journey of, of self-reflection, the new CPD requirements coming from APRA for 2023 really emphasise reflective practice in the CPD requirements. So clearly being able to reflect on our our practice, um, but being able to reflect on our practice compassionately. You know, we don't learn through berating ourselves. I've tried it. I don't know if anyone else has mm. tried it, but it didn't yep. work for me. <laughs> so learning, sure. learning compassionate reflection, learning how to reflect compassionately is a skill like any other. And yet we expect ourselves to just be able to do it. So we do need to sometimes say some balls, we need to actually allow them to drop so that we have time to engage in compassionate self-reflection it's not something you can just do on the fly and then for me i mean meditation is a huge training ground for compassionate self-reflection and personal growth so i need to make sure that i commit time to that but what i often hear and i'm sure joe you probably hear from your coaching clients as well is i don't have time i don't have time to do any of these things and i sort of try to challenge that and say well how much time at the moment are any of us wasting worrying about the fact that we don't have time or that we're feeling burnt out or so it's not so much that we're creating more hours in the day it's that we're repurposing some of those hours and minutes that we waste i guess ruminating over how awful things are and that gives us then the ability to start nurturing ourselves first yeah yeah that's great so good um, yeah, sort of hearing that uh, primitive brain being fearful or, or um, wanting to avoid pain, save energy um, and and sort of do other perceived pleasurable things rather than, oh, this might be hard to make this time for myself or, yeah, just really questioning that and just inviting just a little bit of time. It doesn't have to start with much you know, I love sunsets. I love looking out for the sunset. That doesn't really last very long and is kind of like a few minutes and it will be gone. So making the time for that can be um, a lovely, a lovely part of the day to look at for if that works. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, they, they, they're the individual things. And then hopefully as each of us are able to nurture ourselves in those small ways, it gives us then the capacity to, to start casting a few ripples and seeing where that change comes from. Because when it comes down to it, I think, you know, there's, there's a lot of change makers in the world and if they burn themselves out, then the change stops happening. So nurturing mm. the change makers and medicine full, is full of change makers. Absolutely. If, yeah. if we're nurturing them, hopefully then on a systemic level, their change will happen. But it's sort of, you know, in mindfulness, we often say the process is the point. It's not about a fixed end point. We're not sort of trying to get to a certain point. It's actually about saying, well, there's a lot of people who are doing amazing things in medicine. There's a lot of change happening. And right now they need nurturing. That's that's where that's my wheel, wheelhouse. That's where I'm focusing my efforts. It's about nurturing the change makers. Mm, fantastic. Yeah, I love it. Is there a part of your self-care routine that you really love or you rarely miss that you'd like to share? It's the meditation. It really is. I've, I've got to the point in my own meditation practice where it's no longer something that I have to force myself to do. It's something that my body and my brain call me to do. You know, I notice that when I'm feeling that sort of 
uh, static nervous energy in my body. And, and the first thing that I reactively, my body says is you need to sit, you need to stop, you need to sit. And it's not comfortable. You know, meditation is not pleasant. It's, it's often quite uncomfortable because I'm doing it in moments often reactively. Um, and so I, I just learning to recognize that discomfort means that it's something that I prioritize because I feel so much better after I meditate. And when I am, when I am being good to myself, I meditate, you know, for 10, 20 minutes in the morning before the kids get up. And I try to do it every day. If I don't do it every day, I find then that, that I am finding my body's calling for it. So mm-hmm. it's sort of, it makes its way into my, my self-care routine, whether I'm being good and doing it proactively or whether I'm, you know, I'm not, I won't say bad because I'm just, whether I'm busy and my body then says, come on, Emily, get back on the cushion. (laughs) Great. Great self-awareness. Yeah, sure. Um, Is there anything else you want to add as we're um, coming towards the end of this wonderful interview? Is there anything else you want to add? You've talked about change makers and nurturing them, casting the first stone into the pond, lots of lovely analogies that you've talked about. No, look, I, I just, I really enjoy this work. I feel mm. so um, passionately about it because I feel like as I burnt myself out, it's what I needed. I needed some recognition within medicine that I was a person because I really felt so dehumanized. You know, I was a doctor above all else. And I think I, I remember the feeling really well of just feeling like I could feel the wheels falling off. I could feel life was falling apart but I didn't give myself permission for that to be happening because I was a doctor Mm. and it took me months into my recovery, working with a psychologist, working with my psychiatrist, working with all sorts of people, meditation teachers before I actually gave myself permission to say, Oh, okay, you have burnt out. Cause I still had this, no burnout's what I help other people with burnout's what happens to other people. I'm just stressed. I'm a doctor. Mm. I should know this. I should be able to do it. And that expectation that I put on myself just because I had a medical degree was so unrealistic. And I felt like it wasn't talked about back then, you know, sort of four years ago. I've just felt like I didn't hear other people talking about the our humanness. It was, we were so focused on our doctorness and I just, I needed to feel like a human again. And I think that's, that's really what I try to bring through these retreats and, and my work now. Mm. Oh, that's wonderful, Emily. Thank you. So thanks so much for sharing um, some really personal aspects to your story and also um, some information on your retreats. Where can people find where you um, hang out online and so forth? <laughs> I've got I've got a few a few hats that I wear online. I've got so um, wholehearted medicine is um, the business that I run retreats through. So we've got Facebook page uh, and an Instagram page at wholehearted medicine, um, and the website is www.wholeheartedmedicine.com.au. And then I do a lot of blogging and social media, sort of just under my own hat, um, and that's at Dr Emily Amos or dremilyamos.com. Great. And are there any retreats coming up that people could look into? Yeah, so we've got, um, I've just got three more retreats for next year going on sale as we speak. Um, they will be on the website in the coming days as well. So there's always, there's seven retreats next year. Lots of them are sold out, uh, but there, there should hopefully be, so there's always changes. So just keep checking out the website. And then I do talks and workshops as well. So oh, lots wonderful. of ways to work with me. <laughs> 
Fantastic, Emily. Well, look, thanks so much for your time today. It's been great to have you on the podcast. We'll put links to your sites in the show notes. And um, till next time, thanks for your time. Thanks, Joe. Thank you for tuning in to the Burnout Recovery Podcast. If you liked what you heard, please hit subscribe and head on over to my website at drjoebraid.com. There you can download my free guide with 10 tips to take if you're nearing burnout. See you next time.